really, in my view, it's accelerated this uh, fourth industrial revolution in the sense that uh, people are now becoming more and more digitally savvy. They're forced to become that. And the adoption of digital infrastructure and services is just skyrocketed. So the level of consumption, the connections that we've experienced, particularly in terms of fiber to the home, with this working from home and working remotely, has actually gone to show that the appetite in our market is insatiable. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the next series of The Other Side. My name is Reahile Moazi. I work at Investec and I look after the supplier finance business within the CIB division. And this morning we have with us titans within the ICT sector. Uh, we have Shamil Joseph, who looks after Vodacom as the chief executive. And we also have Raymond Lobu, who is the chief executive of Community Investment Ventures Holdings. Uh, these two gentlemen will be coming to join us as we record the series of mobile and media and try to take stock of how this resilient sector has performed in these auspicious times that we find ourselves in. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, it's always been one of my aspirations to spend a little bit of time with people that run big businesses in this sector that I'm very highly interested in and passionate about the ICT sector. But firstly, if we can go to you, Shamil, just in terms of the resilience that you have found the business of Vodacom finding itself in during this time, working from home, learning from home, data consumption, so many moving parts. Just share some of your insights with us, Shamil. It's actually been quite interesting because it's helped us to deal with some of the uh, misconceptions or misnomers that I must be honest, even my, you know, I had myself with, you know, can we really run a company working from home with 90% of your staff working from home? And yeah, it's, you know, everything seems to be working very well or everything is working very well with 90% plus of all our staff and contractors working from home. So, you know, that's going really, really well. On the other side, what's been interesting is is really the amount of data consumption and how that's increased. And, and, and that's uh, resulted in us having to basically front end a lot of our capital investment to ensure that we can keep up with the volumes and, and really be able to provide, you know, a quality network to our customers during this time. So, you know, uh, and, and the same with education. So I'd say the education opportunities and the work from home opportunities have helped to compensate for, you know, let's say a depressed economic environment. So actually in South Africa, we've landed up it actually being a positive period for us, despite us cutting uh, pricing quite significantly on the 1st of April. Thank you so much. Raymond, you run two big businesses within the CIV age stable, Dark Fiber, that is essentially Metro Long Haul Fiber Network Infrastructure Operator, as well as Vumatel, very widely known businesses in the space. What has been some of your insights since we have gone into lockdown as a country? Thank you. And I think no different to the experience that Shamil and his colleagues have had about the ability for companies and organizations to operate effectively online and in a dispersed way. But also it's really, in my view, it's accelerated this uh, fourth industrial revolution in the sense that uh, people are now becoming more and more digitally savvy. They're forced to become that. And the adoption of digital infrastructure and services is just skyrocketed. 
So the level of consumption, the connections that we've experienced, particularly in terms of fiber to the home, with this working from home and working remotely, has actually gone to show that the appetite in our market is insatiable and we're only going to be as good as we can provide those services and expend that capital in the right areas to make sure that there's accessibility. So all in all, yes, it's very difficult for the economy as a whole. There's no doubt about that. There are experiences that the consumer is having out there with regards to the availability of funding. But on the other hand, just the need for it, it's, I think, accelerated its importance as a requirement, not as a nice to have. Raymond, talking about availability of funding and insatiable appetite, but at the same time with the consumer, the average consumer being constrained for cash and you need to balance out what you spend your money on. Have you seen that impact at all on your uptake in terms of new homes connected because you spent a fortune of capital laying fiber into all communities? And I think it's really around now the conversion factor and getting those homes connected. Have you seen a slow around or perhaps maybe that was as resilient as you had expected, Raymond? We've seen actually an acceleration as opposed to a deceleration. But I, I suspect that as the bad experience or the bad news starts to work its way into the economy and, you know, there's no doubt in our minds that the job losses and, you know, the, the compression of consumer spending is going to have a long lasting impact. And therefore, we're probably heading into more difficult terrain. But having said that, you know, we have no doubt that from a prioritization of expenditure point of view in the average household, digital services and data consumption is as critical, if not the same as food, I would say, because that's how people literally are aiming or being able to, to earn a decent living. Shamil, you referred to, you know, the need to upfront a lot of the capital expenditure that, you know, otherwise would have had to follow the normal course of time. What has been the impact of upfronting that spend in terms of your own liquidity, cash flow, as well as balance sheet position? We were dealing with three different challenges as we went into COVID. One is essentially a big price drop where you would have seen an increased utilization of people, you know, basically taking that extra spend and some of it, you know, being spent in extra usage. The second big issue that we were dealing with was, remember, just before we went into uh, lockdown, we had very bad rolling blackouts and load shedding. So load shedding was a huge issue for us. And then, of course, it's, you know, the, the increased traffic from COVID. So so the three factors required us to to upfront. So, so we, we put in something like two and a half billion rand into the first uh, quarter and in South Africa. And yeah, you know, we, we've seen the benefit. It would have had some impact on our cash flows and so on, or, or rather the planned cash flow as it was going to be rolled out through the year. But, you know, still very much in line with the amount of spend. Last year, we spent 9.9 .9 billion in South Africa alone. So it doesn't really affect our balance sheet much more, I would say, short-term pressures uh, in terms of what was planned versus what the reality ended up being. But, but all, all, for the, all for the good, because it also helped us to cope with the traffic. And uh, the approach that we took around COVID was also trying to say, okay, you know, how can we help government? How can we help society and play our role on the one part? But secondly, we also looked at saying, okay, but also where is the opportunities around COVID? How can we make sure that we pick up the education opportunities? How can we make sure that we pick up the opportunities from work from home? And that uh, strategy has turned out very well for us. 
Shamil, talking about coping with the volumes and having the dynamic of majority of your people working from home, what has been some of the balancing techniques that you had to deploy to ensure that as the demand for, you know, network capacity and also having the added disadvantage of your people not being uh, hands-on or not having as many of your technical people being on site, how have you managed to cope with that potential impact on capacity and ability to deliver? Well, I think firstly, you know, making sure that people could still function from home, having the right capabilities from home, I think has played a big part in being able to assist. But, you know, just the complete flexibility so people, you know, could go to site if need be from home. So, you know, as opposed to having to come into the office, but having the requisite tools at the disposal, whether it be, you know, laptops or PCs or connectivity, you know, or, and what we did was also just give our staff a lot of data so, so that they never had to worry about that. And, and just also making sure that, you know, we had a lot of the equipment in country at the time COVID hit. So that also gave us an opportunity to make sure that it was, the equipment was easy to come by. That's wonderful to hear. Raymond, your network is very well renowned for a fantastic uptime in 99.9% of the time it's functioning, it delivers. But then one cannot, you know, stop to think about potential impact on supply chain disruptions, even though, you know, the sector has been an essential service from a communications perspective and keeping the country going. Were you able to plan sufficiently well for any impending supply chain disruptions that would impede your ability to maintain the uptime that you've become so renowned for? Indeed, that was probably one of the first things we did as we saw the imminence of lockdown was to check what were our stocks in terms of supply that we had on hand and what was still on its way. And we were quite pleased to see that actually, despite the fact that the onset of COVID was quite sudden, our supply chains were not negatively disrupted in any way. And we were also able to also plan, I guess, with the advent of the actual lockdown, especially level five where and level four, where very little movement was possible. It was possible for us to then say, how do we increase the level of uptake? How do we increase the intensity of access to, to connections? Because that's really where the opportunity was in the immediate sense. And uh, we, got, uh, we got going with that. And then, of course, we were working very closely with the industry, the industry council, as well as with government to see that there wasn't too much of an adverse impact on the consumer from a pricing standpoint. And so we cooperated very clearly up front to say that we would not put through what would typically be the annual increases in price to ensure that the consumer would not be too heavily impacted by both an increase in demand on the one side and then uh, secondly, the upcoming difficulties in the economic environment. Talking about the, the impact on the consumer being the final user of the product itself and also looking at the, you know, the supposed availability of disposable income with now all of a sudden tobacco ban coming in, the uh, distribution of alcohol as well. So now the, the makeup of the wallet seems to change and uh, overnight the consumer finds himself having a little bit of free cash to utilize. Have you seen some of the uptake in that in terms of the windfall from you know new customers coming on board, perhaps maybe even upgrades to uh, higher speeds on your network, Raymond? Part and parcel of the strategy was actually to encourage an upsell. So as we placed a moratorium on increase in prices, at least for the three months during the lockdown period, we also accompanied that with the very 
deliberate attempt to ensure that the customer experience was was as good, if not better, so that there could be an immediate upsell to higher broadband speeds. But at the same time, we were um, making sure that the, the customer was feeling the impact of, of that upgrade and would, after the event, would then be tempted to stay there because we don't want actually the customer to be going backwards. We want them to continually increase as the demand and usage of the broadband speeds and, and, and quantum uh, increases and improves. Absolutely. I think I've been a fervent user of higher speeds. And once you've gotten onto higher speeds, it's so difficult to go back. Uh, Shamil, on your side, having both, you know, the basket of postpaid as well as prepaid customers and the competitions commission ruling regarding some of the data prices, having now a customer that has excess uh, cash flow overnight, what has been the impact in terms of, you know, more volumes coming through your, your network and some of the products perhaps maybe you've been able to upsell? I think the approach that we took with the whole competition part actually played very well into, into the whole scenario as well. Because what we did was we decided to use the opportunity to enter into a social contract with government and the people of South Africa to drive more digital inclusion. And I think that played out quite well because firstly, we reduced prices. So that was the first thing as we went into COVID. But secondly, free access to the basic internet, you know, uh, better pricing in the 2,000 smallest, uh, 2,000 poorest towns, as an example, you know, free access to uh, to things like Wikipedia, free access to universities and, and schools, to their mm-hmm. portals and so on. That played very well in terms of what we, what we were trying to achieve. And I think COVID gave us an opportunity to test that social contract and really to put it into, into place. So that, that was received quite well. People then, um, but, and, and I think we did see, and, you know, with the reduction in pricing, it also made us more competitive. But then customers also use uh, the opportunity, you know, of that saving to spend more. And I'd say, uh, yes, the telco sector definitely benefited from, you know, a little bit of uh, excess cash, but people also not being mobile, right? Not, not uh, having to pay for transport. Uh, the transport uh, mechanism was uh, was data, not having to drive to work. I, I think the other big thing that we've done is um, what we call hyper-personalization. About 65% of what we sell is through our platform called Just For You, where we personalize it to what we call the segment of one. And I think that picking up on those opportunities have also been uh, using machine learning and artificial intelligence to personalize what's relevant to particular customers has uh, proven to, to be very good for us over this period. Raymond, in your line of business, and perhaps maybe if you could educate us, because you essentially have a lot of data traffic coming through your infrastructure at any point in time. Have you seen the advantage of you know advanced technology such as artificial intelligence, being able to harvest some of this data to try and you know enhance your offering a little bit better to your customers? What has been your experience with some of these innovations, Raymond? So the the big part of our focus has actually been in driving inclusion. So that's where we are trying as much as possible to invest in innovation. And we tried and successfully concluded a proof of concept in in Mitchell's Plain in the Western Cape, where we started our lower LSM fiber product, uh, the first in the world that is prepaid. And we're finding that that's really where the growth in the South African market is going to be. To Shamil's earlier point about making sure that we're not just reaching 
the well-served customer in the metropolitan urban areas, but we're starting to go, go peri-urban and into secondary cities, as well as you know informal settlements, which require as much data and as much access to the platform. But obviously, you've got to be very mindful of the price point, which you are able to do that. And so we've spent quite a lot of time and money making sure that the technologies that we deploy in that space allow us to be a lot more price sensitive whilst not compromising the quality and the nature of the product offering that we do have. South Africa has got just uh, under 16 million, 16.9 million households. So there's a long way to go. And uh, we believe that, you know, a significant about 25 to 30% of those households are an addressable market for the kind of product we've got. And we believe that there's uh, still a long road to be had in ensuring that the investment in technology enables access at an affordable price point to that target market. I read the, uh, the product that you've developed around the informal settlements, so using the yard uh, analogy, and then running the appropriate uh, infrastructure within a, a certain compound. And by then you taking a view on just one household and then they can cut and dice the, the, the capacity and then sell it in smaller packages. That ability to create a secondary market, essentially of resellers in that space, I found that to be quite interesting. Is it your expectation to see uh, a further rollout of that kind of products into broader areas where there could be an addressable market? Without a doubt. In fact, that's how we are seeing the possibility of also injecting further life into the township economy. Because once you are able to almost break down the product and the service into bite-sized chunks, you create an opportunity for your spaza shop owner, for your informal trader to do in the sphere of uh, prepaid fiber what happened in the area of uh, prepaid voice not so long ago. That explosion is just, we're on the cusp of that, not only in terms of uh, consumption, but in in the nature in which people will then have accessibility to data and high-speed broadband services. Shamil, on your side, Vodacom, very well-renowned for specific products that it comes to market with to cater for a niche that it sees in the market, talking about the unbanked, talking about people that don't have access to formal banking services, but do require a means in order to participate in the economy. Can you talk to us about some of the innovations you're seeing in mobile money and how potentially you can use that to capture a large chunk of our economy that we believe is unbanked at the moment? I think it's a it's a very exciting opportunity. Today, we have 52 million customers across the continent using financial service products from us, which is quite uh, exciting in terms of the number of products and services that, that, that we have. In, um, in South Africa, you would have seen that we announced the Alipay partnership. And we think that's quite exciting in terms of what it will mean to the South African market. It's, you know, it's a super app. So from the app, you'll be able to pay, lend, shop, invest, save, and so on. And, but the beauty of it is that it's a two-sided approach, which means there'll be a lot of benefit for, for consumers, including access to nano credit. Today, you know, we've already built quite a successful business in nano credit and on our airtime advanced product where we have 11 and a half million users and, and extend, you know, 10 billion rand of short-term airtime advances. We're now extending that into other products and services, but we're also doing business advances. And 
you know, being able to give small businesses access to short-term advances, but also proper loans through Borderland and that whole ecosystem. And we also launched our own point-of-sale systems. So merchants will be able to take one of our new devices, lend from there, pay from there, accept payments from there, but also uh, be able to vend various different products and services. And it will, they will also be joined into various ecosystems because the switch that most of the FMCG companies use today is ours. So we process something like 200 billion rand of transactions through that platform today. And that's a big data platform and that will give us the ability to do things like invoice financing and so on. So we see a big benefit coming for merchants and small merchants to be able to sell their products and services through our platform, but also to accept payments and to, to advance uh, lending opportunities to, to help them to grow, to grow their businesses. So, you know, quite exciting in terms of some of the products that we, we will bring to, to market in the mobile money space. So, and, you know, partnering with, say, the biggest and most successful player in the world who has 1.2 billion users, I think, you know, is, is really important for us. And at the same time, we also see that some of those capabilities we will implement into our MPESA platforms as well across all our countries. Well, I can't resist the urge to ask the question, Shamil, because from the inception of Vodacom to how it's evolving now and where you see the future of Vodacom going, just really looking at opportunities that present themselves through the vast amount of data you've been able to, to harness and to accumulate now you're starting to harvest that and looking at Alipay, financial payments and other forms of financial services. Could this be perhaps the beginning where Vodacom dips its toes into the greater financial services space, perhaps maybe banking further down the line? Well, well I think, I mean, just to put into perspective for you, we generate something like 18 billion rand a year from in financial service revenue through Vodacom and Safaricom. And, you know, uh, with a margin of about 45%. So it's... Uh, and 53 million active users. So it's it's a big business for us. Our insurance business in South Africa is huge as well. We already have close to 2 million active users. So that's also growing quite nicely. We're already the fifth largest insurer and we have our own licenses and so on. So just in South Africa alone, our financial service business now generates over 2 billion of revenue and a billion of profit in little over 36 months. So. You know, we've become quite a, a meaningful player in the sector and, um, you know, and, and, and with many, many more exciting products to come. So, yeah, we, we're very much going to be a player in the financial services part. But what we're also building at the moment is what we call a system of advantage, which is essentially trying to create a differentiation point between, between us and, and our competitors by making sure that we can put the cell phone in the center of a person's life, from where you buy, from where you pay, from where you lend, from where you shop, uh, from where you invest, from where you save, and, and, and harnessing big data and loyalty um, as well. We've built what we call a 360 view of the customer. And yeah, we, we're constantly building and, and, and increasing the data points so that we can you know, present customers with things that are most relevant to them. That's wonderful to hear. Changing tech just a little bit, Raymond, and moving to our favorite subject, regulations. Leading into, into hard lockdown, what has been the experience of CIVH through its fiber businesses and from a regulations perspective, interacting with government? Has it been as smooth, as flowing, as enabling, 
or would it be perhaps maybe much more of a barrier to being able to offer your services into the market? What's been your experience, Raymond? I think that, you know, when one looks at the regulatory environment, you've got to appreciate the different, I guess, levels um, and points of interaction with the various authorities. I think it's uh, when you talk about national government and specifically coming out of the president's office and the Ministry for, for Digital Communications and, and Technology is, is really a strong drive to try and improve the framework and the policy environment. There's still obviously a long way to go as far as execution and certainty of that roadmap is concerned. But uh, I would imagine that the interaction that we've been able to have on an ongoing basis with government and culminating in actually DFA being the underlying provider of infrastructure to the infrastructure conference that was uh, hosted by the president's office goes a long way to show that uh, we can actually be an active and meaningful partnership with government to achieve the same end. When it comes to ICASA, I think that, you know, there's only recently been confirmation of the, the terms of office for a, for a new set of councillors. That helps a lot because then you know who you are going to be dealing with and on what basis. I do believe that as we roll out further, policy initiatives that are driven by ICASA will have a lot more interaction with ourselves. We've been commenting quite heavily on, for example, the triple BE legislation, the information memorandum on the wholesale open access network as another example. So dialogue and uh, much more positive interaction helps a long way in actually ensuring that there's a, we're bridging the gap. Obviously, everyone was quite pleased with the emergency release of some of the spectrum, not least of all, I'm sure Shamil was chuffed with that. I think that some of these opportunities that COVID has actually brought about have helped to accelerate the involvement and engagement from a policy point of view. So we move from just talking to more action. Shamil, on your side, you've been in and out of the boardroom with Competitions Commission, with ICASA. There's been temporary spectrum that's been allocated. So it's been a tale of two cities on your side. Do you perhaps see the regulatory cliff being a thing of the past or do you anticipate further upheavals going forward within your business? Well, I think, you know, the reality in the telco sector is that let's say, if we don't have access to spectrum, the telco sector will get left behind. And I think, you know, we were one of the first countries in the world to launch 2G. We were one of the first countries to launch 3G. 4G, we made a plan, you know, by refarming spectrum. And I think, you know, it's disappointing on 5G that, you know, we're not up there. Although we've launched, uh, we do need access to, to spectrum on a permanent basis to be able to to really be there because I think industries will develop around it. I mean, if you look at, you know, apps and how that those have grown because of access to data, new industries will pop up with the near real-time, you know, uh, impact of 5G. Uh, so I think regulation needs to keep up. And frankly speaking, you know, we need to get on with the spectrum auctions and, 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 and make it happen. You know, let's talk about further delays. I think what's encouraging is that it seems that it is going to happen and that, you know, President Ramaphosa is very focused on making sure that it does happen. But we need we need to get on it on with it, and we need to make sure that digital migration happens as well, so that uh, you know uh, we can we can we can we can be there. 
uh, as these new technologies grow. Just touching on 5G, the rollout of 5G, the infrastructure and the impact that it would have on the economy. Just your reactions, your thoughts on the state of readiness of our country, given also the access capacity that still exists on the 4G LTE network itself and some of the low-lying areas in our country not even having access to higher speeds like 4G. Do you think 5G is really the right product to be rolling out at this stage? It is because South Africa is well positioned as a modern digitally enabled economy. We definitely have the means and the technological capability through our MNOs to roll this out. The critical thing is going to be a capital allocation decision for the MNOs who are largely responsible for ensuring that they identify the right areas in which to deploy this infrastructure. From our standpoint as providers of fiber infrastructure, to support that rollout. We just have to make sure that we are firmly standing close behind and enabling the investment in 5G infrastructure. Secondly, we also want to make sure that those areas that do not have sufficient coverage from the peri-urban and rural perspective, particularly of 3G, let alone 4G, uh, still continue to receive the required investment. We do believe that there's still a long way to go in ensuring that both in terms of coverage and also intensity of usage and densification of that network, there's still a long road to go. So for us, that presents a significant investment opportunity alongside the the mobile network operators. Absolutely. Shamil, some of your thoughts on there we've seen with temporary tests when the, the temporary spectrum was made available just to see the speeds that can be achieved, although it was within a controlled environment. You've been in the sector for a long time. You know the challenges that lie ahead for rollout of such technology. In your mindset, how do you see this picture playing out once the regulations are in place and the stage has been set? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, what will happen is with 5G, it will be a gradual rollout, right? Because what will happen is, you, you know, the phones and the devices need to get cheaper so that your ecosystem becomes a lot bigger. There's no point building a network when the devices are too expensive. So initially, you know, like everything else, it will start in probably in the bigger cities and then, you know, and then and then go up. To- Shamil, can we have your closing reactions, comments, just briefly so we can wrap up this talk? Well, I think, you know, from, from, from our side, there's going to be a lot more excitement in terms of technology, you know, with 5G coming. And, and also continuous rollout of our, of our networks, but lots of opportunities as, as we try and build more services for our customers on the financial services side, as well as in entertainment with music, games and videos and strong partnerships. So, so watch the space for some exciting things to come from Vodacom. Brilliant. Well, that's it from us here on the other side. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We truly appreciate the time that both Shamil and Raymond have given us to pick their brains, to get insights into the business and the ongoings into their sectors. We really appreciate the thoughts. Until next time, this is it from us. Cheers. views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.